0: Good evening, and thank you so much for joining us this evening to hear God's word from Luke chapter 12. Appreciate you taking the time if it's either, uh, either Sunday evening or perhaps during the week. Uh, I know a lot of you, a number of you, listen to the audio or watch the video of this at different points in time in the week. So I just want to thank you for taking that time. We are blessed to be able to look into God's word, blessed to uh, be having that freedom this morning. In our morning service, we took some time to pray for our country, for our incumbent president and uh, our outgoing president, and just our leadership and country in general. And in light of those prayers and and just thinking about that, I hope that we are taking the time to to be thankful for what we enjoy, what we have enjoyed, and uh, by God's grace, what we will continue to enjoy. So I hope you're continuing to pray for them. On another note, I want to just encourage you to keep in prayer the Trivisano family. Marlene Trevisano, a member here at Grace, Greg Trivisano's mother, passed away, went home to be with the Lord. We enjoyed that service yesterday here at the, at the church, and we're just thankful that, that she is with Christ. That's what we all look forward to, and so we're going to rejoice, but also please keep in prayer Greg and his wife and family and the extended relatives. So let's pray, and we'll look into Luke chapter 12, all right? Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for Jesus Christ, the first who and the last, the beginning and the end, the author and the finisher of our faith, the great leader, our Lord, our King, but also skillful teacher. So God, as we look at his teaching, both to the unbeliever and believer alike, may our hearts be opened, be inclined to being doers of the word in addition to hearers. Lord, we also pray that what we read in the word would be understood or that we would work hard at interpreting it, that we might depend upon the Holy Spirit to uh, help us to welcome its message, whether it's uh, convicting or not. God, we thank you for the privilege of, of hearing your word. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in Luke chapter 2 today, and admittedly, this is going to be a longer passage. Uh, Last week, I preached from Luke 12. I think I I just said Luke 2. I'm sorry. Luke 12, we're going to be in. Luke chapter 12. Last week, I preached verses 1 through 12. That's a a nice section to, to preach over, 12 verses. Well, today, I'm preaching over verses 13 through 59. Quite a few more pages, but... Unless you're worried about the length of the passage corresponding to the length of the sermon, be not afraid. We're going to bring out some primary points and uh, see what Christ had to say to both unbelievers and believers alike, as I alluded to in my prayer. We're in verse 13, and as you see there, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Now, as I get older, I find myself falling into some similar patterns that my parents had, at least what I remember them having. Growing up, you know, asking a question, and really just kind of wanting a simple answer, or not really thinking too hard about it, only to have maybe my dad or my mom just start to talk and talk and talk. And I suppose it was them finding a teachable moment. And I'm thankful for that. I'm not bitter or resentful. In fact, I'm doing the same thing now with my kids. They'll ask just a simple question, maybe asking as a 10-year-old or a 13-year-old or a 15-year-old. And I'm answering like a 43-year-old who has maybe a lot to think about. Regardless, Jesus here had this statement made to him. Just after he had taken some time with his disciples to instruct them. And this man says to Jesus, Tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. This man, whether he intended to or not, set off a teachable moment for Jesus with the thousands that had gathered to see him. If you look back in verse 1, it says... Under these circumstances, after so many thousands of people had gathered together, that they were stepping on one another. That was the context. So Jesus has literally thousands that are waiting to see what he might do or hear what he might say. Well, they were about to hear. And in fact, verses 13 through 59 is an extended passage of Jesus' teaching. And he actually touches on several different areas. Now, what I want to do, really, is just simplify this passage into two headings. In fact, I suppose I could make this into two different sermons. But as we're working through Luke chapter, or as we're looking through the book of Luke, I wanted to really keep the the movement going. So the two headings that I have here in this particular passage are this. Well, the first one... The first heading would be having two perspectives on possessions. Having two perspectives on possessions. And we're going to look at verses 13 through 34. Later, we're going to see that we need to be prepared for Christ's coming. And we'll see that in verses 35 through 59. But again, there's two major topics at hand here. Possessions and Christ's coming. And we'll discuss what Christ's wanted both believer and unbeliever alike to recognize, to understand, and ultimately to appropriate into their lives as a result of this simple question or this simple statement. What does Jesus say to this man after he says, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance? Jesus in verse 14 says, man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator of you? And then he goes on to give specific instruction. So this first heading, this first section Two perspectives on possessions. First of all, we have the perspective of the abundance of possessions. And Jesus warns us in verse 15 that we should be aware, we should beware, we should be on guard against greed. So the first perspective on possessions is beware and be on guard against greed. Beware and be on guard against greed. Look in verse 15. Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night your soul is prepared of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Beware of greed. Be on guard against greed. Greed. This word here for greed in verse 15, in fact, if you have a different translation, it might have the word covetousness. And this word for greed, being translated covetousness, is simply wanting more than one's fair share, it's wanting more than what is needed. Now, later on, we're going to learn what our fair share is. Jesus tells us what our fair share is and what we should be content with. But beware of wanting more than what is needed or one's fair share. Now, if you just take a moment and turn to Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to not move around a whole lot this evening as we look at Scripture, but I do want us to look at Ephesians chapter 5. Starting in verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality, or any impurity, or greed, that word, greed, same word used in Luke 12, must not even be named among you, as it is proper among saints. If you'd also Look in Colossians chapter 3. Two books over to your right. Colossians chapter 3. Look at verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Now, why do we... Why did I have you look at these two particular passages? Well, I find it interesting that in the New Testament, greed is often paired with sexual immorality. And a lot of times we can think very strongly about the evils of sexual immorality. But perhaps maybe give a pass or not think of greed as being as wicked but really they're kind of two sides of the same coin in that both have a strong consuming desire for what is more than one's fair share in sexual immorality it's having a desire a lust for a person who does not belong to you is not your spouse So too with greed. Greed is desiring material things that are outside of what God has given you. Basically, it's wanting what's not yours. You see, when we're looking at Luke chapter 12, and we see Jesus' story of this man, he gives really a parable of a man, a wealthy man, who really demonstrated what greed looked like. And in verse 16, he says the land of a rich man was very productive. Now, in our day and age, when we use the phrase, the rich get richer, it's usually in a negative connotation. But here in this passage, there's really nothing wrong with what's being said. A wealthy man has a parcel of land, and it was very productive. He had a lot, and he was making even more. To which we should say... Praise God. Really, the issue at hand here, or the important question is this. What is going to be done with the increase? He has abundance. Now he has more abundance. What will be done with that? Well, we read that for him, what is to be done is that it is to be hoarded. It is to be kept. Verse 17 he reasoned with himself asking, what do I do? And in verse 18, he says, I'm going to tear down what I already own, the storage bins I already have, and I'm going to build bigger ones. To what end? Well, in verse 19, he says, and then after I do all that, I will say to myself, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. You see, in this passage his greed was gaining more and more without the thought of giving to others. He was defining success and comfort by wealth. Now, if you think about it, in a wealthy society, we measure success, we measure comfort, not so much by what we have, but by what we can accrue. In our society... Success is not being satisfied with where one is. It's only getting more. Comfort is something that is very temporary. It's by getting the new, and when the new is no longer new, or perhaps when something newer replaces the new, then we need that new in order to be comfortable. This is a worldly way of looking at success. In fact, in verse 19, we have a a really interesting verse. And I say it's really interesting from the standpoint that if there was ever a verse about retirement, specifically the way that our society looks at retirement, it's verse 19. You have many goods laid up for many years to come, you have a 401k, you have an IRA. And now, take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Again, is there anything wrong with wealth? Absolutely not. Proverbs 22:2 says, "The rich and the poor have this in common: the Lord is the maker of them all." God has seen fit to superabundantly bless certain people. And can I tell you, you and I are part of those who have been superabundantly blessed. In the history of mankind, in the history of civilization we have been abundantly blessed but what we see here is a mindset that is all too common in our society and that is this it's really the consummation of the american dream where you work and you work and you save and you save and you put your kids through college and you you save a bit more and you put stuff off and then when you're maybe in your 60s late 60s maybe early 60s or late 50s if you're fortunate you can stop working and then retire. Now, is there anything wrong with that? Absolutely not. However, retirement has become synonymous with self-indulgence. Retirement consists of hanging out at the country club with some buddies and some drinks, being able to golf or shop or do whatever one pleases, whenever one pleases. And I gave and gave and gave and now it's time for me. Can I tell you that is a worldly way of approaching retirement. I praise God and I i, I will be honest. I, I was going to jot down a few names of people who are living this out in our church but I, I stopped because there are so many and I was afraid I was going to forget others. But there are so many individuals 60 and older here at Grace Church who have retired in that they have left their jobs, and now they have the freedom to choose what they want to do and live off their retirement income. And they are choosing to serve God. They're choosing to invest souls. They're choosing to be slower about life. That's fine. But not simply live a self- indulgent life. You see, when we look at what God has blessed us with, And we ask ourselves, how much do I need? We need to be careful that we aren't defining or we aren't answering that question from a worldly point of view. And if retirement, if you're listening to this, and if retirement is something that you feel entitled to, that that's your time. Well, may I say, if you're a Christian, you gave that up when you became a Christian. When you trusted in Christ all of your time is his time. And he will hold you accountable to the stewardship of that time. And just one more application. And for those of us who perhaps are younger and retirement or the concept of retirement is something way off in the distance. We should be careful about what we celebrate and what standard we create as far as Retirement, as far as success. We should be careful, not just for ourselves, but also for the example that we are going to set in the years to come. That our standard of expectation isn't something that the world has created. And frankly, when we stand before God, and I'll quote an author here, When we stand before God and all we have to show Him are the seashells that we collected walking along the beach in the last years of our able-bodiedness, if I can put it that way, where we simply indulged in ourselves, we relaxed, we checked out, we gave it our time, and now we're free to indulge. At which point, God wants us to steward our time be careful of creating that as the standard you know that phrase you only live once well that's true in your 60s and 70s just as much as it is in your teens and 20s so i said there were two perspectives on possessions jesus gives one beware of greed But he also gives specific instruction to his disciples. Look at verse 22. And he says to his disciples So he's talking to the crowds but now he's talking to the disciples and he gives this instruction Don't worry about material things. So it's interesting how Jesus in one part of his teaching is talking about pursuing extravagant wealth and then as he's talking to his disciples he's saying Don't worry about material things Don't worry about food and clothing now, why would he tell them that? Well, because many of them had left everything to follow him. In fact, Peter says as much. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus asking about salvation, and Jesus tells him to sell all his possessions, because he knew his God was possessions. And then the rich young ruler left brokenhearted because that was his God and he loved money a lot. And Peter looks at them and says, looks at Jesus and says, We've done that, and he's right. Peter, Andrew, James, John Fisherman, father's business Walked away from it to follow Jesus Christ Matthew, successful tax collector Walked away with it to follow Jesus Christ Earlier in Luke Jesus says Birds and foxes Birds have nests, foxes have holes But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head Why? Because they were dependent on the support Of others in the ministry And there were times where frankly Provision was a concern but Jesus wants them to not worry about it. Verse 22. For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor, what or, nor for your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than comfort. Now why shouldn't they worry? Why shouldn't they worry? Well, first of all, because creatures less significant than them are amply provided For by God. Let me say it differently. God cares greatly for things less significant than us. Verse 24 Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than the birds? God cares greatly for birds, and He provides for them. And so the disciples should not worry because God will provide for them. Secondly, the the disciples should not worry because their worry cannot change even the smallest thing. Look at verse 25. And which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life's span? I love this next phrase. If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? If you can't add an hour to your life, why do you worry as if that energy will somehow be able to provide what you are concerned about? And Jesus says, don't worry. And finally, we see, yet another, we see yet another reason for why they shouldn't worry. And it's because their energies, the, energy, the disciples' energies, should be focused on God's coming kingdom and his righteousness. Verse 29. And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink, and do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. That word eagerly seek in the, in the Greek language means, literally means running around. They are constantly busy about accumulating this. But your father knows that you need these things, but seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. So Jesus gives two perspectives on possessions. Beware of greed. Don't worry about material things. And so we as Christians, then, should lay up treasure for God. Look at verse 33. Sell your possessions. Give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes nor near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." We must value, to summarize verses 33 and 34, we must value souls over stuff. We must value souls over stuff. Look back at verse 15. Jesus says, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. So, lest you think the wealthy person has a more meaningful and more significant life, Because of their possessions, Jesus says, no. Life has meaning and significance when you are rich towards God. And what does it mean to be rich towards God? It means seeking his righteousness, but then also valuing souls over stuff. Now, that sounds good, but how do we know that we're actually doing that? And I just want to simply ask two questions. I think these are true not just from this text, but really from the whole of Scripture. How do we know that we are valuing souls more than stuff? Well, we know this by how we respond when we don't get what we want. We know what we value when we don't get what we want and then how we respond to that. I don't have, I want. How do I respond? Value souls over stuff. You might not get what you want. But I think just as an important aspect of this is how we respond when others get what we want. Meaning, maybe there's something that we would like to have. And it's material. And it's a, it's something that will pass away, but it's something that we'd really like. And someone else gets that, has that. How then do we respond? Can I tell you, you know, we, we hear this phrase, weep with those who weep. And we do that often. We, we, we do that when, when someone is hurting. But can I tell you, and maybe this is just for me personally, I think it's harder to rejoice with those who rejoice. Seriously. Rejoice when others rejoice because maybe what they're rejoicing about is something that I would like to have and I just don't. I want that. They got it how do I feel about it? And sometimes we even struggle with rejoicing with others who rejoice, and so we feel like we have to compensate for ourselves by saying just how similar our circumstances are. Well, they got this. Well, we got something too. Or something great happened here, and oh, well, guess what? Something happened to me too. And it's this this level of insecurity about someone else being blessed by God in a way that we haven't. So can I tell you, when we value souls over stuff, we are being rich towards God. And that's what he calls us to do. So I told you, there were really two different themes in this larger passage, these perspectives on possessions. But I want to transition here in uh, in verse 35. Jesus has talked about possessions being content, talking about where your treasure is there, your heart will be also But then he shifts gears and he talks about them being prepared for his coming. We see this in verse 35. Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast. So that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are the slaves... "'whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. "'Truly I say to you that he will gird himself up to serve "'and have them recline at the table "'and will come up and wait on them, "'whether he comes in the second watch, "'that's around evening, "'or the third watch, that's overnight, "'and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. "'But be sure of this, "'that if the head of the house had known "'at what hour the thief was coming, "'he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. "'You too be ready, "'for the Son of Man is coming at an hour "'that you do not expect.' Peter said, Lord, are you addressing this parable to us or to everyone else as well? And the Lord said, who then is faithful and a sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them the rations at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will put him in charge of his possessions. I said here that Jesus is calling on those individuals who are listening to him, be prepared for his coming. And really, there's two responses that will be present. There's two responses at the coming of Christ, at the coming of the Savior. It's a response of joy, which is what we just read, and then there's a response of judgment. Here in verses 36 through 44, we see joy. The master has come, the slaves, the servants are prepared, they're ready. As I was reading this passage, I found something that, truthfully, I'd never seen. Now that's... If if you hear that often from a a pastor, red flags go up, okay? When you say, I'm going to tell you something you've never seen in the passage before, there's probably a reason why it's never been seen in the passage before, because it's probably not in the passage. This isn't that, though, okay? Verse 37, blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes Truly I say to you, and look at this, that he will gird himself to serve. Who's the he there? That's the master. And have them, the servants, recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. Truthfully, I've never seen this in this passage where the servants, the slaves, are awaiting the master to arrive but then you have this role-reversal where there's joy that the master has for his slaves, that they were ready to receive him, that the master actually girds up his loins, he has the servants and slaves who are all ready to serve sit down and he serves them. When I was in college, we had this once-every-four-year event. It was kind of cool. It was like two or three days of special events. We had classes off, and, and we had a bunch of you know mandatory fun and all that. But, but one of the cool things that they did was all of the dorm students were served breakfast in their room by the faculty. So the faculty of the university, and we're talking like the dean of the school of business, dean of uh, the arts and science, dean of fine arts, president of the university, vice president of the university, CFO, all of these men, big wigs that you see you know, wearing really nice suits or really you know nicely tailored and all that. For the guys section of the campus, they would come and, and they would give breakfast in bed, all the, the men faculty. And then on the girls' side, all the women faculty, you know, the dean of women and, 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 and all of the, the other faculty members, they would serve breakfast basically in bed. And it was so fun because you're used to seeing these polished you know, professionals, people who are running a, a university, you're used to seeing them kind of walking very importantly, having purpose, going somewhere, you know, or in the administration building, doing whatever it is that administrators do. But here they were in my dorm room, as stinky as it was, serving me a donut and you know some orange juice and some milk and some cereal or some pancakes or something like that. And they were handing this out. It was a role reversal. You know, there I am in my bed head and you know just you know waking the, the sleep out of my eyes, and and they bring in this food. And can I tell you, the entire floor just had this energy. The dorm had this energy. Like, what's going on? Now this is back in the 90s, so you know people were taking pictures actually with cameras and not phones, but people were snapping pictures, they were getting photos in their jammies with these administration and it was just so much fun. There was an energy, there was an excitement. Part of the reason why I use that illustration is because when you see this role reversal in Luke 12, where you see the master serving the slaves, I can just imagine the joy that it brought him to be able to serve them. And the joy and the laughter and the excitement that they all enjoyed having the Master serve them. I'm sure it was a wonderful time. Can I tell you, that is going to be the joy. That's going to be a taste of the joy that you and I will experience if we are ready for the Master come to come. I mean, seriously, as I think about it, and I think about my life, and, and I think about the fact that Christ could come at any moment, I want to be ready. You know, I, I don't want to be caught with my, quote-unquote, pants down spiritually. I want to have that moment be joyful. Be ready. We also see, not only when the Master serving them providing honor for them but we also see much provision verse 44 blessed is the verse 43 blessed is the slave whose master finds so doing when he comes truly i say to you he will be put, he will put him in charge of all his possessions there's a stewardship and even as we look forward to the kingdom as we look forward to the millennial reign of Christ there's a position of rulership of of following the king but a position of honor that we will enjoy if we wait and we wait patiently and we persevere. But there's also a position of judgment. You know, when Christ comes, he will come and provide joy, but he will also come and for others provide judgment. You know, there's a difference between, you know, if you remember this as, as kids, perhaps, when your dad comes home, you're like, Daddy's home! Daddy's home! There's a difference between that and wait till your father comes home. Daddy's home, but it's a whole different tone, right? Verse 45. But if the slave says in his heart, my master will be a long time coming, and begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him into pieces and assign him in a place with the unbelievers... And that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will will receive many lashes. This is judgment. Verse 49. And these are sober words of our Savior. I have come to cast fire on the earth. And how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo. And how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? I tell you no, but rather division. For from now on, five members in one household will be divided. Three against two and two against three. They will be divided. Father against son and son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. mother Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. And daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. This judgment. It will come. It will split families. The following of Jesus Christ or the absence or the failure to follow Jesus Christ, discipleship, being a disciple of Jesus Christ will split families. It will bring unrest, as Jesus said. And we as Christians should be prepared for this reality. I want to take a moment And I want to provide a level of encouragement, especially for those of you who perhaps are older saints, some of our senior saints. There can be a pain that comes when you see your children or your grandchildren not following after the Lord, or perhaps once following after the Lord and no longer following after the Lord, having perhaps made a profession of faith, but then really giving no interest in expressing that profession. Are they even safe to begin with? There can be a pain, there can be a burden, but can I tell you, in light of this passage, first of all, you can't change your past. But second of all, insofar as you are an example of Jesus Christ here and now, and you are doing the best that you can to point those adult children to Christ, then you have nothing to be ashamed of. And I say that because there can be an element of shame that comes when our children or our children's children aren't walking after the Lord, as if somehow we messed things up. But Jesus, 2,000 years ago, predicted something that was not going to be just an anomaly. He says in verse 50. I'm sorry, verse 51. Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? I tell you no, but rather division. For from now on, members of the household will be divided against one another. Immediate family, in laws. This is what following Christ often brings about. And for some of you, you perhaps look at other families in the church and you see believing children or you see believing grandchildren. And that's like this, this fairy tale that you wish you could live, and perhaps there's an element of guilt that you feel, because you didn't do what you could, or you didn't follow the recipe like they did. And I tell you, it's It's biblical to have a burden for those, those, those children, that family, those friends, perhaps. But God does not call you to have shame when you have done and you are doing what you can. Because this is what the gospel does. It necessarily divides. These are difficult words. We want to see Christ come and bring joy to his family. And so I appeal to you look at the times. Verse 54, he was saying to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say a shower is coming, and so it turns out. And when you see a south wind blowing, you say it will be a hot day, and it turns that way. You hypocrites. You know how to analyze the appearance of the earth and the sky. Why do you not analyze the present time? Christians, analyze the time. Christ is coming. He is coming to provide joy to those who are looking, but he is coming to provide judgment for those who would reject him. Steward your time. Steward your resources. Christ is coming. And if you're listening to this, and you're fearful of Christ's coming, then know that Christ is, told these people this, that Christ shares this even now with you so that you wouldn't continue in the life that you're living, that you wouldn't continue to squander and chase after what this world provides, but rather you would seek heavenly things, that you would be rich in Christ and watch him provide both physically and spiritually. This is our prayer for you as Grace Church of Mentor. This is our prayer for our Friends and relatives as well. May God bless his word. May God change us as the result of his word. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the patience of the Lord Jesus Christ, who spoke to many, who warned many, knowing that many would reject him. But Lord, also knowing that there are those who would receive and who are enjoying even that presence with you today. Help us to finish well. Help us to steward our time well. Steward our resources well. Help us not to mistake the gift for the giver. Heaven and earth will pass away. Material things will rot. Every junkyard is filled with what used to be a brand new car. God, every city dump is filled with a lot of things that used to be new, but we know the end. Help us, Lord, to see through just how shallow, how transient pursuit of those things is. And Lord, may we be rich in Christ, valuing souls over stuff as we await your return. In your son Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you again for taking the time. The blessing, Lord willing, will be in Luke 13 next week. And I look forward to taking that time, sharing that word with you. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Please keep one another in prayer. See you soon.